How hard can it be? It's it's how many words is it? It's only six words. Cyber humanity. And that's only what? if you make cyber that's if you make cyber humanity one word. So it's seven words, maybe. It's not that challenging. From immersive labs, this is cyber humanity. Perfect. Let's keep that one. Boom, 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 Hello again, I'm your host, Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers, as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts essentially come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types, or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. I am joined by my three cyber amigos, Max Vetter, Paul Bentham and Kev Breen. Hello. So let's begin this week. Well, there's only really actually one place to begin. So we got Sunburst out of the way and we thought, oh, that's good. We don't have to think about any major nation state cyber security issues for a little while. Now we've got that sorted. Um, And now this exchange zero day thing has uh, cropped up and is apparently massive had like defenders scrambling all over the place during the second half of uh, of last week um initially this was attributed to a threat actor group i'm just digging out the name um Haf- hafnium Hafnium. Feels what like it should be. Name. Feels like it. Sh- it should be hafnium like you want to put the l in there but it's not it's hafnium any reason why they've called it this do we know anything? I think it, I think there is no is reason. It, is it you, is it because these letters appear in the file name or something, Kev? Uh, I honestly don't know. Uh, what I do know is it has more than one name. Uh, so of course it has. What what have immersive labs called it? Have we come up with our own naming scheme? Uh, no, we're going with the most popular of the names. Hafnium uh, is what we're rolling with at the minute. Hmm. Uh, but some of the other names, uh, so Velaxity, have called this Operation Exchange Marauder. Oh, I quite like that. Uh, that's quite nice. I like I like a marauder. It it sounds piratey. Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, Devcore, uh, who is the uh, group behind the original disclosure to Microsoft, uh, they've called it Proxy Logon. Uh, they've got a logo, a website, and everything to go and along with this. It's all very well the... having a logo and a website, but that name is rubbish. Uh, it's uh, dreadful. It's a bit ambulance chasey as well. That's so... zero logon and all the <laughs> yeah. other Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ones. Sounds a bit like zero logon, yeah. Uh, they, funny you should mention that. They have an entire line in there to say this is not the same as zero logon. That's what you know. As someone who's named a few products in my time, that's when you know that you might have made a little misstep. If you've got to put a sentence in there that clarifies it's not another thing <laughs> that sounds a little bit like it, you're probably in trouble. Uh, and then good old FireEye, uh, UNC. UNC 2639, UNC 2640, and UNC 2643. And they can't even narrow it down to one threat actor. They've got it down to three. They're saying it's three different groups. And I, I know initially... They had the, the the disclosure. Um, whoever came up with Hafni, I forget who you said. They had said this was basically a Chinese state-sponsored. Oh, oh sorry. Well, I, well I, we, I'm just. Re, I'm Max just... and I had a very awkward meeting this week, Chris. We just got to be very careful now <laughs> about attribution. I knew you were going to get funny about me using the about me using the don't use a ch- the word. nation state. Well, I can't, I'm you know, okay with all there. those ambiguous ambiguous like numbers and letters and names, but 
Yeah. We just got to be careful about nation state backed, Facebook. believed backed, or believed attributed. Oh, well, that's Maybe what it's we nation should... state sponsored is the way that they is the way that they can't. We just blame in... somebody else for it so that it's not on us. <laughs> somebody else said that this was a group that's got this name that could be possibly attributed to the Chinese. <laughs> We've we got to be very careful with attribution because um, one of our customers was a little bit upset with us uh, with some of our attributions. So let's take a step back and look at some of the reporting then because I think that's interesting what you mentioned. Um, I, I mean, it is very traditional to do like, okay, there's been a nation state attack. We are confident in our attribution that it is this particular nation state. Therefore, when we publish information about this particular threat, we say who it is, i.e. what they have been called, We usually, and we usually say where they are from. We sometimes say whether they are a nation state or whether they are a cyber criminal group or whatever, but almost always the reporting, and it's the same in this case, I can read you the quote, these exchange server vulnerabilities are being ex- actively exploited by a suspected state-sponsored advanced persistent threat group from China called Hafnium. It's there in the reporting. So I guess the question is, why is that? that we're just used to that. So why is that a why is that a problem? It's not just reporting. So if you go to the MITRE website, um, like MITRE is all about TTPs. Uh, so it's the techniques, the, the procedures that they use. Uh, but you can also filter by group. And almost every single group in the description of the group, it includes their, geophysical, their geographical location. So MITRE, they also call out and say, this is... Uh, Iranian or it's Chinese or it's Russian or like it's there it's like everywhere you go you get this kind of geopolitical statement so the it. question that we have to ask then is d- does that matter do we need to know that it's a Chinese group or a Russian group do we need to know that it it depends <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, <laughs> if you had it depends on your cyber humanity <laughs> bingo card you've got to do two shots now <laughs> Two shots of Russian vodka, yeah. <laughs> Coming from a military background and then going into a defence contractor background, understanding the nation that was coming after you did have an impact on on what kind of response you had. So we know that certain nations are more likely to come at you for financial-based uh, things. Some are going to be Korea, coming looking North for... Korea. <laughs> some are going to be looking for... Allegedly. Uh, Oh, North Korea, allegedly, sorry. (laughs) Some are going to be coming at you for intellectual property. Russia, allegedly. Um, And some of you, some are going to be coming, uh, yeah, China uh, (laughs) will be the one I go to for for IP. So, yeah, like understanding the region from which attackers are operating can influence uh, the decisions you make. Uh, And I get that's a military, like that comes from a military background. I think that's a massively military thing, but I think that's exactly one of the reasons why we have all this aggressive militaristic and 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 have to have an enemy because that's that's there's so many people who've come out of military um, careers and have gone into cybersecurity, and then and of course there's no accident. Mouse will tell you the same. The agencies and the military background they orientate themselves against a threat and it could be russia it could be china it could be north korea it could be terrorism whatever it is you orientate yourself 
gets at risk and you do your reporting against the modus operandi of that particular threat actor look at me i'm talking like a military person and then all of a sudden you have an enemy and then with that enemy you end up shorthanding it to the chinese have hacked a load of microsoft exchange servers and now when you've got people normal people who aren't hacking exchange servers who happen to also be chinese they're like hang on a minute why are you blaming me for hacking microsoft exchange servers it wasn't me it was apt 74 or whatever it's called like that's that's the problem with this attribution thing it gets shorthanded by a load of people with militaristic kind of tendencies that want an enemy i would say as somebody who you know in it didn't come into this industry from anywhere other than you know um falling into a support job after university and then and then working in you know working in info security as it was back then where as we a, cared about as a waitress in a cocktail bar yeah exactly where we cared about uh you know where we cared about viruses and you know sent out virus updates to our customers on cds like you know back when back in the day um this whole you know all of these kind of military as you say militaristic almost the it's almost the militarizing isn't it of information security that is that is what has happened and it's happened because it, you could you can see this um play out especially in the in the u.s and i say these i say these words very cognizant of the three people that i'm on <laughs> that i'm having this conversation with but i'm going to say it post 9 11 a huge amount of investment was made in um you know in the military in intelligence services um you know they they expanded exponentially those people who worked in those agencies gathered you know experience working in the in the public sector and for government agencies and now have taken that experience into places where jobs are available in the private sector and there are tons of jobs available in cybersecurity and so what has happened is we've kind of that move if you like from info security to cyber, the industry seeing itself as cybersecurity as a whole has happened through the militarizing of info security as a as an industry and i think that this is kind of a side effect of that i guess paul the point you're making is this is the way that it happens i guess the point that i wanted to make was more well look you've had a conversation with an organization who are trying to perhaps be a little more trying to think of a good word to describe their approach sensitive a sensitive, sensitive and yeah. potentially apolitical about how yeah. they you know about about how they see about how they see threats and i suppose do you know are we saying that we think that's a good thing or are we saying well this is just the way it is you know and we me and paul were, were pleasantly surprised and and kind of um definitely backed down and, and realized um what the the customer was saying wasn't that we shouldn't attribute or that attribution wasn't relevant in certain circumstances it was just the the method of attribution should be like we know we've we've talked before about how how you say and what what you say is important and it's not you're saying Iran is hacking something. You say there are groups that may have been linked to the Iranian regime, and that might be seem to some people to be kind of splitting hairs, but it is a, a, an important distinction, especially if you have Iranian people who work for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, of course. So there yeah. are APT groups, I'm sure, that don't just sit in one country. It's it's the internet and it's cyber. So what happens then? Do they do they do, do these? Oh, they're backed by. Oh, uh, we can't we can't then attribute because. They work, work across borders, which there must be ATPT groups out there. We see this all the, all the time, though. So one of the things that they do is, 
Uh, we saw this with um, SolarWinds, and we're seeing something similar with the exchange stuff. They don't launch their attacks from the country from which they're supposed to have come from. This is a this is a perfect case in point um, because, in fact, the, the this Hafnia I nearly did it. Then this Hafnia—it's <laughs> <laughs> a China virus. It's a China virus. This this Hafnium thing, yeah, they were using um, virtual uh, virtual private servers. Where? America, Kev? isn't it? In the US. Yes. In the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we say hackers linked to the US regime? Yeah. Hackers using US infrastructure. Have hacked a US multinational corporation. Well, where where are the APTs that have um you know that that single out the US and the UK as as APTs? That there, there, there aren't any, are there? Uh, which again it leans towards the whole militaristic side of while well, it's military, but it's in the West. So you know. The Western media own the narrative, and so therefore the Western governments, despite the fact that they, we know that they have offensive, um, you know, cyber operations, which Paul and Max cannot talk about, but we know they have them. But they don't have to be given scary names or quoted as being, you know, UK nation, you know, UK state sponsored actors. We don't have to have any of that stuff. We know it happens. So it's actually all. It's it feels like it's more to do with the media, the Western media owning the narrative, and so therefore. Defining the way that we talk about um, the offensive cyber capabilities of these particular countries, but it's it's true though, isn't it? We know, uh, depending on what you believe, and if we just ignore Paul for a second, we know that certain allies have act have hacked other allies. Have they hacked other allies? <laughs> <laughs> That's very hard to say. <laughs> so say say you're in Germany and you've been hacked maybe by the US now. I assume. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Well, there's a saying, few allegedly missing a, in that sense. Allegedly, it might have happened. Um, but does their threat intelligence not just ignore that that threat? Like, how how is that then threat intelligence? If you if you know there are Western hacking groups um, that have been successful, but I well, would we just ignore all them and just concentrate on the ones from China and Iran and Russia. It, it seems it seems then not exactly a full intelligence picture have we even talked about this hack yet no we skirted around we we may have gone down <laughs> may have gone down something of a rabbit hole when it comes to attribution because i don't think that's a rabbit hole that was more that was deeper than a rabbit hole <laughs> we got a little bit annoyed by the fact that they were calling them did we dig our way to china <laughs> <laughs> so anyway kev what so what do we know because what um because this uh, originally uh was there was information that came out from cisa directive 2102 two um that were saying this looks like a bad thing that's going on with exchange um you should take some action and then the story kind of rapidly developed after that so how did this start who disclosed yeah, it so if we go right back to the beginning i want to hold off on my rampant speculation just for a moment oh, yeah. uh, so he's got a conspiracy theory everyone <laughs> i have by. a conspiracy theory so in december of 2020 so december last year uh, somebody was looking at Microsoft Exchange, looking at the security, and they identified four uh, vulnerabilities. So some auth bypass um, and a, a couple of others, and uh, some arbitrary file write. And they've discovered a way to chain four of those exploits together to gain full or unauthenticated remote code execution against an Exchange server. That's pretty bad. Uh, so this was uh, this was reported to Microsoft on the 5th, of January this year. 
and that, in fact, actually, I'm not going to hold off on my rampant speculation. On the 6th of January, uh, Microsoft uh, accepted uh, the disclosure. And then we go into the 120-day uh, responsible disclosure period. And this is all documented uh, of the, the full timeline. Fast forward now to March. And on the 2nd of March, Microsoft released an advisory uh, saying that uh, Hafnium... Uh, were exploiting this in limited and targeted attacks. Limited and targeted, so not very many people um, like targeted attacks, so not a big problem if you're a small organization, at least so people thought. Roll forward one more day, uh, and more reports have started to come out. Uh, so Velexity have released a blog post, uh, FireEye are releasing reports, and these reports are saying that actually this is no longer just a limited targeted attack. This is wide-scale exploitation uh, by groups other than Hafnium. Uh, and now the entire internet is ablaze. If you've got an exchange server outward-facing, it's being compromised by or effectively automation there's something just scanning the ip4 range exploiting exchange servers and throwing web shells around you know what um i i, I don't mean to interrupt because i love all the cybers you know i love all the cybers the thing that's really uh astonishing about this for me is that there are so many people still running on-premise microsoft exchange who's still doing that it's 2021 that is such a difficult and bad thing to be doing it's probably harder to upgrade to upgrade it isn't it it's probably harder to move it to something better or people who think that uh, cloud isn't secure it's much more secure having this on my on-premise servers where i could see the blinky lights and pull the cables out if it all should go wrong is that how those people talk paul i don't know how they talk but that's how <laughs> that's my silly voice i hope they have pulled the the, the cables out now anyway Thanks to the wonder that is Shodan, to your point, Paul, we know there are 240,887 of these uh, on the internet. That's quite bad. And this is zero days. This is pre-patch. It is incredibly likely they've all been compromised. Now, there are some other mitigating factors on how exposed they are, but ostensibly they've all been okay, compromised wait, wait, what are people doing on them? Second, mind second, I, want, I need to get this i need to get my conspiracy theory <laughs> on, out and on, none of you are on, letting go. me do it we're building up the tension so we know that microsoft accepted the report on the 6th of january is it microsoft is it microsoft doing it's, it itself to, uh, mi well, to push people to migrate to the cloud we not we know <laughs> that this was widely exploited on the 2nd of march Velexity have said that they found the first indications of this being exploited on the 6th of January. So the same time a developer found and chained four completely separate exploits into RCE and reported to Microsoft, the same day that happened, a threat group from China also just happened to be using it against operational targets. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I mean... There's correlation causation and all sorts of rampant speculation in there, but that is some really coincidental timing. Well, hang on. What is your rampant speculation? Because all you've done is said, ooh, this is a coincidence. What are you speculating? That Microsoft hacked themselves? Uh, no, one of... One of two, one of three possibilities. Either it is purely coincidental, uh, and a threat group found them at the same time. Let's discard that really quickly. Uh, somebody in Microsoft has accidentally disclosed this, or Microsoft were compromised and this leaked out. Ah. Or uh, we know from a few months ago that 
threat actors were targeting uh, exploit developers, and the person who reported mm. this is a well-respected and widely known <gasps> exploit developer. <gasps> no. oh, speculation. Yeah. speculation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's like I said, like it's. I've got no proof. I've got nothing. It's pure supposition. Yeah. Uh, but hundred percent evidence. Ah, oh, but it's a good one. It's a good one. So, okay, two hundred eighty-eight thousand servers. Even if you are a Chinese uh, state-sponsored hacker, allegedly <laughs> link, linked linked to a big regime, uh, how would you how do you even go about? For, firstly, I like if you're going to do it to two hundred eighty-eight thousand people, you're going to get found out. I would from I would guess. the reporting we've got, Hafnium, the suspected uh, APT state, ran a series of targeted, like hyper-specific attacks, then some other group uh, ran a set of wider exploitation. So they've said it wasn't Hafnim, it was some other group. This is what has happened over that really short period of time, is we've gone from, like very small number of targeted organize you know of organizations that have been targeted to oh this is suddenly like thousands of people are suddenly affected the entire internet yeah uh, a lot of people had their weekends ruined uh, by this as they were putting out fires because patching isn't enough like the exploit drops a web shell which means you patch and great wonderful they can't get in anymore but the exploit itself drops persistence i keep meaning to ask you this kev because you keep harping on about these web shells and I can imagine in my head using two, the two words web and <laughs> shell what a web shell is, but maybe you could expand a bit. So a shell is, uh, when we talk about shells in this context, we're talking about some kind of uh, tool that the attacker can use to gain code execution. Uh, so normally you'd, you'd have like a reverse shell uh, where the operating system's sending a command line back to the attacker. You have bind shells where uh, you are connecting to the attacker and running commands remotely. And then we have web shells. Web shells, you tend to find them anywhere you've got a web application. So if you've got a WordPress instance that's running PHP uh, and you can get a file upload, you would upload a PHP shell, which gives you remote code execution. Um, in these instances... Uh, Exchange is running IIS, uh, the Windows version of a, a web service. So they upload an ASPX shell, uh, which is just a, a single file uh, web page that gives the attacker the ability to run arbitrary commands against the OS. Um, so that's that's the web shells, and that's that the exploit. So they ba- they basically set up a, a nice little website to connect to on on your own website. Yeah, server. and that's what the exploit does. So the exploit writes that file into the correct location, so the attacker can now connect directly to that web shell, which means they never have to use the exploit again. So patching doesn't stop it because the attacks already happened. You have to go and remove those web shells or any other persistence that's been left behind. And all that traffic, that's all getting piped over port 80, like hiding in the noise of normal web traffic, so even hard to spot as well. Uh, yeah, well, it's arguably slightly harder than that because this is all running over 443, so it's protected yeah, by HTTPS and SSL. So if you're not doing like SSL inspection, then uh, you're not going to see it on the wire. Now, Microsoft have released lots of IOCs. They've written an entire PowerShell script uh, that you can run on your Exchange server and will tell you 
whether you've been compromised or not. So we saw this with SolarWinds, a collection of threat intel providers, uh, as they release this information publicly, they're releasing indicators of compromise that we as defenders uh, can use. So I do like that that is free. It's not, here, we'll sell you the IOCs. It's like, just have them for the betterment of all cyber. I do like that element. And we've seen that a lot with solar winds and again with this one can we talk very briefly about what happens once that web shell so the web shell um is created they use it as a way to then uh access a system i i understand i think from when we talked before kev that basically once they get lateral movement or once they establish their persistence they usually scrap the web shell at that point because obviously it's a big it's a bit of a red flag that they're there what happens next or is that it like they're basically looking to establish persistence and then steal data or do whatever it's they're going to do uh this one again depends on the uh, maturity of the threat actor but like one of several things will happen so that web shell is your first that's your initial access uh most attackers will then uh pivot to another form of persistence and in this instance what they do is uh they're deploying uh another web shell called nishang which gives you a reverse shell so they've come away from the web shell and they've got this reverse command line coming back in uh, which again they can hide that amongst other traffic they can encrypt that as they've got a lot more control over that um they also not normally what we see attackers do is uh, drop mimicats in and they'll use mimicats to uh dump credentials this one's slightly differently so what they do is they uh, they either use an existing tool uh, or they upload it. And this is a tool called ProcDump, which is actually a Microsoft-signed binary. So it's a tool by Microsoft. They use that to dump the LSAS process, uh, which is the same technique that Mimikatz does, but then they exfiltrate that back and run Mimikatz against it locally. That gives them the credentials uh, without having Mimikatz on the box. So this is what the, this is living off the land binaries. It's using... With the exception of that first shell, it's using Microsoft's own tools against us. And then from there, they've got credentialed access. Uh, They dumped all the PST files and exfiltrated all the PST files. So all of those emails and those exchange servers are gone. Uh, And then they harvest as much data from there as they can. And from there, I mean, you just pivot and... Uh, laterally move across the network and then install your bitcoin miners oh <laughs> and then install your bitcoin miners oh that i suppose that's going back to the so the other group the the non hafnium group how why would how would they want to leverage those 208 if they're not doing something like bitcoin mining ransomware or? ransomware would be a way to go so uh from from the open source reporting we've got from people who are running honeypots it looks like it is just wide-scale initial exploitation to drop the web shell and that's kind of where it stops. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of like post activity. It's kind of just like spray it everywhere, and then we'll come back and look at them afterwards. Right in the headline already. It's it's a it's a ticking exchange time bomb, is what it is. <laughs> they're just they're just biding their time. Uh-huh, they're just Chris. biding their time to get those cryptocurrency miners on there. Yeah, because at this point, if you run a wide rate, a wide scale attack as quick as you can and just get this second level persistence in, they can patch. Like, go ahead, patch. Like, because I know exactly where my web shell is going to be, and you patching doesn't stop me going there. That's why those follow ups uh, are so important. And uh, I'm pretty sure Caesar or Kisser, uh, as Paul likes to say, <laughs> uh, have actually listened to us because uh, in their last directive, uh, they said. Go and turn these things off. 
Like you need to oh, be safe. Like just turn them off. Cross with 20, them. 2101. We got cross with them about solar winds, didn't we? Well, or we you did, did Kev. Um, I listened. So I said that, like, just turning them off. Like, granted, you've now limited the exposure, but you've just destroyed all your forensics evidence. So this Caesar directive, uh, I think it's action point number two, is to go and collect all of the forensics. And they give you a full detailed guide on how to collect it uh, and what to do with it. You and called me out with go, this in the podcast, didn't you? You were, Not in the podcast, in the <laughs> webinar on our crisis. Team. I was like, oh, turn it off. Caesar's told us to turn it off, turn it off. And you were like, ah, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> no forensics for you paul <laughs> yeah so like all of those attacks so in that web shell that they're running all those attacks if you don't have full logging you've just lost all visibility of everything they did because you didn't capture the memory sample which is one of the first things that the caesar it's, it's not the caesar directive it's the oh there's a caesar activity alert as well that's the one so the advisory links you over to the activity alert the activity alert actually contains all of the iocs the yara rules uh, and the step-by-step for the forensics this is extremely we were both weird but paul and i are both about to say exactly (laughs) the same thing this is extremely comprehensive is it not it is uh now i will say that caesar have copied and pasted significant portions of that uh, from the Microsoft and Velexity blogs. They're collating that information together, which is arguably what I'd expect them to do. So, The thing that's astonishing about this is that if Kev's rampant speculation is correct, and this was first, or maybe that isn't rampant, it's, it's not rampant speculation was first exploited on January the 6th. No, that's that's fact. So the reason why they this threat actor was discovered... Because we've talked about the the timeline for disclosure of the chained zero days in exchange. And then in parallel, there's the fact that it was getting actively exploited in the wild. How was that? Uh, how were Hafnium detected or all the other threat groups? How were they detected? Uh, we don't have that information. We just know that uh, so Velexity and uh, others came out and said, we have seen this in the wild. Uh, and they say, we've seen this in the wild as far back as the 6th of January. So I think the trigger for this week uh, was seeing it go more widespread uh, and seeing that wide-scale exploitation was the thing that triggered it. Because Microsoft had originally... Re- uh, Microsoft had originally set these patches to come out, uh, what is today, on Patch Tuesday. Uh, so they released them a week early. So something must have triggered that initial release. And we didn't see the wild, the wide-scale exploitation until after that. So there's some really... Oh, really? So what? So it was the responsible disclosure that said, or the, the, the times up on the responsible disclosure that said there's this chained uh, exploit that then went into massive like large-scale exploitation just in the last six six or seven days yeah so microsoft had original like the original disclosure date was going to be on the 9th of march and i don't think i think the actual proxy log on website from the guy who discovered it i think that was published three days after the microsoft advisory came out so i don't see a point there was no disclosure ahead of then that would have triggered them off i think it was the it was the exploitation that triggered Microsoft to bring this forward a week. Yeah, Chris Chris Krebs is is asking he and on his Twitter he's asking you know why why is it so big you know is it a cyber he asks is it a cybercrime gang gone gone out of control or contractors gone wild because it seems like so much bigger than it. This is massive, like to like humongous, and I don't feel like 
it's broken through in you know say the winds was on uh, or sunburst was on you know mainstream cable news when it was you know it's all you know it might have been it was a slow news week before christmas or something but it was all it was all over everything this hasn't broken through and this feels as significant if not more well what is odd about it is that in terms of the political discourse it is more it has a greater exposure and prevalence than Sunburst did. So it, this was mentioned in the White House press briefing um, at the end of last week. Um, there's talk of uh, Biden setting up a task force in order to investigate this. Um, so actually, in terms of the political discourse, it's re- it's up there. We've got the White House. Um, what are they called? As the National Security Council uh, uh, at the White House, they are tweeting about it um, and urging organizations to take immediate action. Um, US CERT are also involved, making lots of noise about it. Um, And there are also those in China who have now involved themselves uh, in this discourse as well. So there was an interview with a guy who runs an antivirus company uh, in China, and he basically was accusing unnamed foreigners of also attacking Chinese medical research. So it feels like there's a bit of a, there could be a bit of a war of words brewing, but either way, it's a big deal, um, and it feels like it is a big deal to uh, to to kind of inside the cybersecurity community. Um, but wider than that, it doesn't, for some reason, seem to have got the same amount of the same amount of coverage. I mean, you can get you get every email from every organization you hit in. Like, there's a wealth, it's a wealth of data in there. I think the reason it's not picked up as much wind is because of the organizations that have come forward and said, "Hey, we were hit by this. We had FireEye." big name come out and say we've been hit by this we had the department of uh justice uh come out and say we were hit by this we've had what one organization come forward i think is it the european banking something some sort of european agency for uh, for banking I, f- I forget which but which again just hits a point like it's like it's not a big name that's been affected by this so it doesn't get the same media attention now the infosec community is all over this like people have like so people have lost their weekends trying to patch stuff um there's lots of people running ir ir firms are making a killing uh, over the weekend uh, but it's just the mainstream press don't seem to have uh, picked it up and run with it at least not past its initial hey this thing happened yeah i mean of course that i mean as i said when someone mentioned that earlier in the week you know it was oh um why are we hearing any more about this and the point that i made was well the story is the story is only what can be reported and at this moment there isn't really much else that can be reported so until we get the big disclosure from the big company or government organization that says they've been breached until we get that the story it it kind of there is we are in a natural lull as far as media coverage is concerned but what i think is great is that we're in the exact opposite of a lull when it comes to available threat intel which i (laughs) sort of love i kind of love the fact that CISA driving the narrative Microsoft have done amazing work around threat intel and providing the mitigations and the IOCs. And now there's also a little, um, like executable thing that you can run on your system to, you know, jump in there. And they're pushing that to everyone. I kind of love Power that the, the grown ups, in a way, not wanting to, you know, I suppose I can talk <laughs> as a former journalist, but the grown ups, in a way, are in the room, are the ones responsible for driving the narrative, which I kind of like. But you wait until some big org, you know, puts their hand up and say they've been breached, and then, you know, the, the headlines will be there and none of us will have to worry about it not being 
uh, not being a big story. Are we going to see intern was left to set up Microsoft Exchange? That'll be, yeah, that'll be it. Every organization's intern was responsible for Exchange. You know, um, the last um, rem- pre-authenticated remote code execution on Exchange, who did it? Are you going to say a nation state name? Because that's not allowed. Um, the the equation group right uh, and it was called the englishman's dentist <laughs> but it only worked on exchange server 2003 good history good history paul thank you if you have enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe rate and comment wherever you get your audio content and if you want to know more about immersive labs you can find us at immersivelabs.com or follow us on twitter at immersive labs until next time from all of us goodbye goodbye, goodbye. <laughs>